To do that, I'll go to Acts 17 and give us a quick summary of Paul's time in Thessalonica. Paul went into the synagogue and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. Some of them believed, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. So the brothers immediately send Paul away by night to the city of Berea, and once he arrives there, he begins preaching as well. But the Jews from Thessalonica hear about this, and they travel over 50 miles to once again form a mob and lead a riot against Paul's preaching. So once again, Paul is forced to leave this city, and he boards a boat and travels to Athens, which is a little over 200 miles of a sail. Well, with Paul gone, this angry mob who despises the gospel of Jesus as the Christ return to their home of Thessalonica. And when they get back home, who do you think they set their sights on? Who is their anger directed towards? It's those who believed while Paul was preaching to them. It's the Thessalonian Christians. They become persecuted for their faith, and many afflictions are brought their way. And so it's easy to see why Paul is concerned about the welfare of their faith. And he sends Timothy to check on them and to encourage and strengthen them. And he also writes this letter to do the same thing. Well, guys, we may not be experiencing the same kinds of afflictions that the Thessalonians were, but that does not mean we're not facing any afflictions. And I would say that all of us know from personal experience the toll that these trials of the faith can have on us. It's during these times that our faith becomes most fragile and weak. We start questioning, can I even continue in the faith? Was I even really saved to begin with? Is this God's evidence of love for me? If you've ever felt this way, then this passage of Scripture this morning is for you. Paul may have wrote it to the Thessalonians, but as the inspired Word of God, it is also written for all Christians throughout all time. So let us now turn our attention to the passage this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul writes, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly, and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers... In all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live 
if you are standing fast in the Lord? For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's go to him in prayer. God, we come to you and we admit that far too often our faith is afflicted and weakened. Lord, rather than standing firm, we begin to buckle in the knees. We begin to question things. We begin to doubt your kindness and love for us. God, I pray that this morning you would allow us to repent of that mindset. That you would allow us to graciously see how you use afflictions in our lives to grow us and strengthen us in the faith. And that, Lord, we would not be tempted by Satan when he comes along and tells us to believe these things that are not true about you. I pray that you would give us grace this morning to receive your word gladly and humbly. And God, that you would be pleased to work this morning in our hearts. Amen. In verses 1 and 2 this morning, we see how to be strengthened in the faith. If you look in verse 2, we see that Paul has sent Timothy first and foremost to establish them in the faith. And this word does not mean lead them to an initial proclamation of faith, for this has already happened when he was with them. They received it as the word of God, which is what it truly was. So this word establish instead carries along the idea of confirming the word that was preached to them and leading them to remember the foundational and objective truths of the faith. So essentially, Paul sees the first line of defense in keeping the faith during times of affliction is to find strength in the truths of the gospel. Well, that's what I want us to do right now with our time this morning is just to remember the truths of the gospel, and let us never move past them. Friends, we must remember that we are by nature sinners deserving of God's wrath, that we are dead in our sins and trespasses, and there's nothing we can do to make ourselves innocent before a holy and righteous God. But that by God's grace and His free will, He's decided to save a people for Himself to reveal His glory And he chose these people not by any good work they've done or could have done, not by any race or gender or age or any other factor, not by merit, not by looking into the future and seeing which ones would choose him, not by anything but his own kindness and love. And he chose these people not because he was obligated to, not because he was lonely, not because he was incomplete without us, but once again, because he desires to make his glory known. Therefore, in eternity past, before the foundations of the world were laid, 
he decided that he would send his only son, Jesus Christ, to be their redeemer. And Jesus Christ came and took on human nature so that he was fully God and fully man, living a perfect life of obedience. He never once sinned. He never once fell short of the glory of God like we all have. And therefore, he was not deserving of God's wrath. Yet this is why he came to earth. So that he could be our righteousness. So that he could suffer as a sacrifice for our sins. The people that God had freely chosen to save were still guilty of sin. And God could not simply wink an eye and move on and say, you're forgiven. Without actually dealing with the debt of sin. He must punish it. And so Christ offers himself and becomes the substitute for God's people. He takes upon himself their full penalty and wrath that they deserve and also gives them his righteousness. So that now when God looks on his people, he doesn't see those who have just been forgiven, but have been forgiven and have the righteousness of Christ imputed to them. And friends, we must remember that Jesus Christ willingly died on the cross so that he would be the means by which God would save his people. As he hung on the cross, he did not die for sin in general. He did not die to atone for all sins of all people for all time. Jesus did not die to atone for some sins of some people. He did not die for some sins of all people. We must be clear that the gospel of Jesus Christ says that he died to atone for all of the sins of all of those that God had chosen to save. And since he died for a specific people, a specific price for sin was paid, and the work of salvation was fully accomplished. If you look at the atonement any other way, it's incomplete. It only makes salvation possible. And that is no good news at all, friends. The truth of the gospel says that Christ secured salvation for his people. And therefore, since God has chosen these people, and Christ has died specifically for these people, without a doubt, in God's own timing, he will send his spirit to convict these people of their sin, turn to Christ in faith, and be saved. All that Christ died for will come to a saving knowledge and faith. And since the Holy Spirit indwells them, though they may face many afflictions and trials, their faith will never completely fail. They will persevere till the end because they have already been purchased by the blood of Christ. Well, I hope you're strengthened in the faith by this. If you can't be, then I have nothing else for us. This, these are the amazing truths of the gospel. Let's never move past these things. I know afflictions are difficult and hard, and we get so much tunnel vision on what's right in front of us and what's afflicting us now, but it's easy to forget the umbrella of God's grace. Never move past these truths. A way to be strengthened in the faith so you're not moved by afflictions is to dwell on the truths of God's grace in your life.
Next, in verses 3 through 5, we see how to be encouraged in the faith. Paul has sent Timothy to establish them, and he has also sent them to exhort them, as you see in verse 2. And this word exhort means to encourage. And surprisingly, Paul sees the way to be encouraged during afflictions is just to remember that they're a common aspect of the faith. And that's what we see in verses 3 through 5. Look at verse 3 with me. Paul writes, Don't be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we're destined for this. Continuing in verse 4, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that you were to suffer affliction. And this is the part that amazes me. Let's not forget that Paul was with them for three Sabbaths, reasoning from the Scriptures. And this is what he chooses to preach on. We're told that when he was with them, he told them it was necessary for Christ to suffer. And then if you'll look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, look what he writes there. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things. Surely when Paul was with them, he told them about his own personal sufferings. And he also tells them, kept telling them that they were to suffer. If I have three weeks with people to preach them the gospel of Jesus Christ, probably going to hit on things like peace with God, adoption into his family, and eternal life. I'm going to keep it on a happy note. But look what Paul does. We shouldn't move past that too quickly. Paul comes in and he says, I'm bringing you the good news. And if you believe it, you're going to suffer. Why does he do this? Why lead off with this? I think we would have to agree that he does it so the Thessalonians have a realistic view of what it means to follow Christ. And by having a realistic view of the life of faith, they're prepared to stand firm during afflictions. They don't feel as if something uncommon is happening to them. And though that may not initially sound encouraging, I promise you that it is. I promise you it's encouraging to know that nothing unusual is happening to you that prepares you to continue standing firm in the faith. When you're in the midst of afflictions, you think no one understands what I'm going through. I'm all alone in this. And that's simply not the case. Afflictions are common, so that also means that you're not alone in your suffering. And there's much encouragement to be found in just knowing that other people can relate to you and encourage you and help you through your times of affliction. And that's why we see so many support groups for everything in the world today. It's because there's encouragement to be had in knowing you're not alone. There's support groups for veterans. There's support groups for recovering alcoholics. There's support groups for single parents. There's support groups for those who have had to traumatically flush a goldfish down the toilet. Maybe. I don't know. I'd like to think there is. But the point is, is that people have a desire to know they're not alone and to be joined with others in their suffering. And friends, we have such a privilege as believers 
to partner together in the faith and encourage and exhort one another. Your affliction's still going to be painful. It's still going to hurt. And it's still probably not going to be done with by tomorrow morning. But we're not alone. And nothing uncommon is happening. Even more encouraging, if you look in verse 3, Paul says you are destined for this. Afflictions in your life are just not the result of bad luck or coincidence. As Christians, we don't believe in luck. We believe in God's sovereignty and providence. Afflictions are not bad luck in your life. They're an evidence of God's grace. How is suffering an evidence of God's grace? Because it's during these times in our lives that we're most led to trust in God's provisions for us, to really cast ourselves before Him and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I have to trust You, that You know what's best. It's during these times that we're led to repent of the sins in our lives. We're confronted with them. And so it's easy to see that afflictions are not some punishment in your life. They're the means by God through the means by which God wants to lead you to repent of sin and turn to a greater trust in Him. This is a great evidence of God's grace. We should find a lot of encouragement in this. We should find much encouragement to be had in knowing that God loves us enough to bring affliction our way. Lastly, in verses 6 through 13, Paul teaches us how to encourage one another in the faith. Well, it's easy to see at this point that Paul has a strong desire for the Thessalonians' spiritual health. He truly cares about them and how they're doing. And so you can imagine that he's been very anxious to hear back from Timothy. They didn't have text message and Skype and everything else. He was sitting there waiting to know how they were doing, and he was anxious. Well, Timothy finally returns, and in verse 6, we're given his report. Timothy brought us the good news of the faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us. And it's in the next two verses that we see Paul's response. He's extremely encouraged by this news. Remember, Paul's been kicked out of towns, had mobs formed against him. He's had to sneak out of cities, and this is only in the last couple months. He's had much more that he could add to that list. But during all of his afflictions and distress, he's comforted by the fact that they are standing firm in the faith. We should notice something from this, that we should never underestimate the value of daily faithfulness the encouragement that it can have on our souls and the souls of others as well. Enduring enduring afflictions faithfully is a way by which we can encourage one another and to know that this is true, we don't have to look outside of these four walls. I would imagine if we spent some time, all of us could list off somebody who has encouraged us by their daily faithfulness. And you may not know it or not, but someone has probably been encouraged by your faithfulness. They may never say that, 
But friends, this should, this should lead us to want to live more faithful, obedient lives, not just for the good of our own lives, but to love our brothers and sisters well. The Apostle Paul has been encouraged by the Thessalonians' daily faithfulness. Remember, Timothy doesn't come back and give the report that, man, they're performing miracles. They're having thousands of people saved a day. They built this amazing church. He says, yeah, they're strong in the faith. They're continuing on. And that encourages the Apostle Paul. It's amazing. Well, he's encouraged, and he also wants to encourage them. And we see this in verse 10. Paul says that he wants to return to them to supply what is lacking in their faith. And I want to just take a brief second to be clear on something. He does not mean that their faith is lacking in regards to salvation. There's no two-step process to being saved. If God's given you the gift of salvation by faith in Christ, He's also given you a full pardon of sin, a full newness of life, and full access to Him through Christ. You lack nothing. So that is not what Paul means when he says he wants to supply what's lacking in their faith. What he does mean is that he had a limited amount of time with them. And there's still things they don't know and they don't understand. And he wants to come back and supply more knowledge to their faith. The knowledge that is lacking. So simply put, knowing more of who God is leads to a stronger faith. That has to mean that theology is not some abstract principle. Theology is not only studied so that you can accumulate knowledge and do really well on the Bible trivia team. No, the purpose of knowing theology is that so you know who God is and how He works. And by knowing those things, your faith is equipped to continue on in the faith. Theology is practical. It's for daily use. And it's for each and every one of you here today. So I encourage you to study the Scriptures. That doesn't sound like this mind-blowing advice, but that's what I have for you. Study the Scriptures. There's millions of different ways to do this, so find one that interests you and do it. Just study the Scriptures and know who God is. You could study a particular book of the Bible. You could learn more about the life and work of Jesus Christ. You could seek to know how God's working redemption for His people throughout the Old Testament and how this leads you to understand the New Testament. You could memorize Bible verses. You could memorize questions and answers to a catechism. You could do a Bible study with a friend. You could do a morning devotional. You can do an evening devotional. You can do a lunchtime devotional. You can listen to sermons in your car. You can seek to understand the unity of the Trinity or how God could send His Son and He could both be fully God and fully man at the same time. You could sing songs which teach solid scriptural truths. 
You can seek to understand how faith and works are both present in the Christian's life. You can study propitiation and the legal implications of this. You could simply read a passage from your Bible and spend time thinking about it. There's many different ways to do this, friends, but you have to be studying the Scriptures because they reveal God to you. And when you know who God is, you can understand how He's working in your life. And during times of afflictions, you're equipped to stand firm in the faith. Look at verses 12 and 13 as well with me. We see it's by loving one another that we join in growing one another in holiness. What a privilege that is, is that we can partner together and be an active part of one another's sanctification process. This is truly a gift of God's grace that He's given to us, that we can encourage and strengthen one another's souls. And if you desire to love one another well in a way that grows them in holiness, then as a brief summary of this chapter in our time together this morning, I would just say encourage them in the faith. Strengthen them in the faith by reminding each other of the truths of the Bible. Love one another well by encouraging one another to know that afflictions are not uncommon. Encourage one another to know that God is revealing His grace during times of affliction. Love one another by encouraging them to know who God is as He's revealed in the Scriptures. Love one another well by showing sacrificial love, the kind of love that Christ has loved us with. I pray that we would love one another well And that Midtown Baptist would be a congregation of believers who partner together in the gospel because we love one another and want to strengthen and encourage one another for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray.